You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. 34 to 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are full of joy today as we contemplate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't think about it as a mere event that happened in the past, though it did, but we think about the truth it communicates the difference it makes, the hope it gives. That after Christ was crucified as a substitute for sinners on the cross, after he was buried, he was raised from the dead. Our victorious king So for all those who know Christ, there is eternal hope in Jesus. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes this morning to see afresh the glory of the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. While I was playing with my five-year-old daughter and six-year-old son the other day, I was reminded how much they trust me. Whether it's pushing them higher and higher on a swing or spinning them faster and faster on a merry-go-round, they trust me. If they have never tried a certain kind of food, I can almost always convince them to try it. If I make up an answer to a question they ask me, they assume it's correct. When, when you're a child, you easily trust others. 
This is why we tell our children, don't trust strangers, right? Because if we didn't tell them that, they would. In my own experience as a grown-up, and my experience as a pastor counseling other grown-ups, I find the opposite to be true. The older we get, it seems, the less trusting we become. Now, there are lots of reasons for this. We've heard one too many empty promises from politicians. We've been disappointed by people we love, people we thought we could trust who broke their word. We've been bombarded with news stories about people that have lost everything because they believed a lie. There are good reasons we struggle to trust, but, but if we're not careful, we can become suspicious and skeptical to the core. So much so that even when we're presented with life-changing truth, we roll our eyes and turn away in folly. It's like, it's like we're thrown a life preserver, but we ignore it because we, we don't think its shape and its color are correct. This morning, I want to plead with you to trust Christ. I want to plead with you to trust Christ. He is infinitely dependable. Last week, we spent our time walking through Acts chapter 10. We met a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion who had shown clear interest in worshiping the true God. Cornelius received a vision from God where he was told to send some of his men to find a, a man named Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter would be able to tell Cornelius everything that he knew about Jesus. But as we concluded from our study last week, before Peter would be ready and willing to travel to Cornelius's Gentile home, God would have to do a profound work in Peter's heart. And he did. In fact, this is why Peter begins his sermon the way he does. Look at verse 34 again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Again, brothers and sisters, this was the primary lesson Peter needed to learn before he would be willing to carry out the mission that God had for him. He needed to have his eyes open to see the prejudice in his own heart. And he needed his eyes open to see the indiscriminate love of Jesus. One theologian said it this way, the very first words that Peter spoke swept away the racial and religious prejudices of centuries. Essentially, Peter declares before he says anything about Jesus that was what he is about to say is for everyone. This good news concerning Jesus, this gospel, it is for every person on the face of the earth. No matter your ethnicity, income level, physical condition, or relationship status, the gospel is for all people. So please, friends, listen carefully as we walk through Peter's explanation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. In verses 36 through 43, we see five truths about Jesus and his gospel. And these are not suggestions. And this is not conjecture. This is the truth. In light of what Peter says here about Jesus, I believe you'll see that you can trust 
Jesus with your life. In fact, you must trust him. Truth number one, Jesus Christ brings peace. Jesus Christ brings peace. Look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. When Peter begins by making reference to the word that was sent to Israel, he's establishing that the good news about Jesus, the the good news that he's preparing to share with this group of gathered Gentiles is the very same message that was first shared with the Jews. There wasn't one gospel that was delivered to the Jews, the real gospel, and now another secondary gospel that Peter is going to share with the Gentiles. No, there is one gospel for all people. And what is it that makes this gospel so good? What does verse 36 say? The Christian gospel is the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Friends, the reason the gospel is good news of peace is that apart from the work of Jesus Christ, we are not at peace with God. We are at war with God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans, we are under the wrath of God. James Boyce writes, the world says, I'm okay, you're okay. But God says that everything is not okay. God says the world is in rebellion against him. Humanity wants to fight him to the death. In fact, when Almighty God did take a form in which mere human beings could fight him to the death, that's precisely what they did. We are at war with God. This is why the first announcement of the gospel is that peace with God has been made for those who will have it. But to be clear, look again at verse 36. It says that this peace between God and man is found where? Through Jesus. So here's the reality, friends. There is a great chasm between sinful man and a holy God. And every person here could attempt to bridge this chasm in 10,000 different ways. You could try to structure your life differently so that you're engaged in good works, believing that you will be able to earn peace with God through what you do. You could believe that going to the right church regularly or giving money to good causes or performing certain religious activities and rituals. You could believe sincerely that any one of these things or some combination of them will bring you peace with God. But you would be wrong. There is nothing you can do. The chasm is too great. Your sin is too deep and God is too holy. You have a problem that you cannot solve. But this is why the message of Jesus is called good news. Because what you cannot do, Jesus already did. He made a way. He bridged the chasm with his own body. 
He satisfied God's wrath. He took your punishment so that you could now experience peace. When Peter declares that a sinner can have peace with God through Jesus, there's an echo of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 52 and verse 7, this is what we find. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. God promises his people that someone would come bringing the good news of peace and happiness. The fulfillment of this promise comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And again, just in case you're tempted to think that this gospel is not for you, look at the end of verse 36. He is Lord of all. In the context, Peter is emphasizing that the good news of Jesus is for all people. All people can repent of their sin. All people can experience peace with God through Jesus. All people can be made whole again. All people can be forgiven. Jesus is Lord of all. So if you find yourself here this morning and you've thought at different times, as you've heard this message of the gospel or the message about Jesus, you've considered your own life and for various reasons, you've concluded that Jesus could never love you. This gospel, this good news is not for you. Friend, I would want to plead with you to trust Jesus this morning. Jesus Christ brings peace. Truth number two, Jesus Christ defeats evil. Look at verse 37. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The event Peter references in verses 37 and 38 happened in public. It was an actual historical event that the people gathered in Cornelius' home would have heard about. Jesus was baptized by John, and then from his baptism, Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now why? Why does Peter specifically draw attention to the baptism of Jesus as he's proclaiming the good news to this Gentile crowd? Why does he draw attention to the baptism of Jesus? Again, here there's a connection to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, the Messiah is foretold. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now listen to Isaiah 42 and verse 1, referring to the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Finally, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The servant of the Lord, the Messiah, says, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Peter is first establishing the identity of Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. Second, he is establishing the authority of Jesus. Here's what I mean. When Jesus Christ was baptized, God the Father spoke from heaven, authenticating him as the Son. On that occasion, Jesus was anointed visibly with the Holy Spirit for the task he had to do. In fact, John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon Jesus, and the voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So at his baptism, God set his seal of approval on Jesus. He identified him as his son and his messenger. Friends, Jesus' baptism was God's way of telling all of us that we better pay attention to Jesus. And we better obey what he says. If, If God anointed Jesus with his spirit, then Jesus is the Messiah. And since Jesus is the Messiah... You and I should believe in him and obey everything he says. This was Peter's appeal to the friends and family of Cornelius. And this is scripture's appeal to all of us. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's son. Believe him and obey him. Now, how did Jesus illustrate his identity and authority? Well, look at the last half of verse 38. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The life and ministry of Jesus was a foretaste of what was to come. Uh, I love the way one commentator explains the final phrase of verse 38. The good works of Jesus and his healings were examples of how God's power overcame the tyrannical power of the devil. Jesus, empowered by God through his spirit, effected the liberation of people from the realm of satanic affliction into a sphere of salvation. Friends, the devil opposed the ministry of Jesus in every way, but over and over Jesus defeated him. When Jesus acted in divine power, the devil was utterly helpless. We saw glimpses of that, bits and pieces. It was a foretaste of what was to come. And that brings us to the third truth. Jesus Christ brings peace. Jesus Christ defeats evil. Truth number three, Jesus Christ conquers death. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter and the disciples were witnesses to the life and death of Jesus so that they could go out and be witnesses to his gospel. Now, one has to imagine that Peter said far more about the death of Christ 
than what we have recorded here. But Luke only gives a summary without much detail. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. It's very significant that our text says Jesus was crucified on a tree. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Brothers and sisters, on the cross, Jesus bore upon himself and in our place the curse of our sin. Jesus served as a sin-bearing sacrifice who took upon himself the judgment of God for our sins. Not for his own. In trying to explain what it meant that Christ became a curse for us, R.C. Sproul pointed to one of the most well-known blessings in Scripture. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. After quoting this wonderful blessing, Sproul explained that to be cursed is to experience the opposite. The antithesis of this blessing. May the Lord curse you and abandon you. May the Lord keep you in darkness and give you only judgment without grace. May the Lord turn his back upon you and remove his peace from you. Sproul then said, when on the cross, not only was the Father's justice satisfied by the atoning work of the Son, but in bearing our sins, the Lamb of God removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He did it by being cursed. He who is the incarnation of the glory of God became the very incarnation of the divine curse. This is the death Jesus died for sinners. But as you well know, this was not the end of the story. After Jesus was murdered by sinful men, dying as the substitute for sinful men, so that he might reconcile sinful men to God and forgive them entirely, the text says in verse 40, but God raised him on the third day. Notice the contrast between the end of verse 39 and the beginning of verse 40. They killed him, but God raised him. Peter emphasizes the sovereign power of God in raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus was dead, now he's alive. 
Peter specifically draws attention to the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrection of Jesus further proves his deity as the powerful son of God. And the resurrection of Jesus marked the father's satisfaction with the son's completed work of salvation. Nothing more remained to be accomplished. That is good news. And in case anyone is tempted to think that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, Peter points out that the resurrected Jesus appeared to witnesses who ate and drank with him. It would be unusual for someone to share a meal with a corpse. But it would be impossible for that corpse to have a glass of wine and eat a slice of bread. You have to be alive to do that. What's the point? Jesus is the promised Messiah who died an actual physical death on a cross and then was physically raised from the dead on the third day just like the scriptures said would happen. And he is now ruling and reigning as king. Jesus Christ brings peace. Jesus Christ defeats evil. Jesus Christ conquers death. And as the peace-bringing, evil-defeating, death-conquering king, truth number four, Jesus Christ judges everyone. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Later in Acts, as Paul preaches in the Areopagus, he connects the resurrection of Jesus to the future judgment that Jesus will enact. In Acts 17, verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, Jesus is the universal judge. He will fulfill the divine role of judging humanity on the day of the Lord. And it's with this future judgment in view that I would plead with you again to trust Christ. Believe in him. Scripture teaches that there is a day coming when Christ will return and after that the judgment Jesus will judge every person, not based on what church they've attended or what religious activities they've participated in or how much money they made and gave away, but every person will be judged according to the same criteria. Only one thing will matter. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And do you trust him to forgive your sin and give you peace with God? But again, this is why the gospel is good news. Yes, a day of final judgment is coming. But notice the fifth and final truth in verse 43. Jesus Christ forgives sinners. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone 
who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is not a mere possibility, but this is a certain reality if you will turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. Everyone who embraces treasures and submits to Jesus as Lord will receive forgiveness of their sins and instead of God's judgment they will be reconciled to God and will experience eternal peace in his presence through Jesus Christ friends everything we're talking about here is a sure and certain reality I stated at the beginning that my desire is to plead with you to trust Christ. And I can think of nothing more compelling than the promise of forgiveness. So let me close with something I read just a few days ago. The value of the gospel is that it provides complete forgiveness of all sin for the sinner who embraces the gospel. And the forgiveness that God provides for us is so comprehensive that it removes from the believer all defilement, all shame, all guilt, all punishment forever and replaces it with righteousness, security, and eternal reward. This is the gift of forgiveness. It is unbreakable and irrevocable. Nothing and no one can cause the forgiveness of God granted to the believer to be taken back or to be rescinded. No one can talk God out of it or change his mind or successfully bring up an accusation against a believer that would cause God to cancel his forgiveness. Friends, trust in Christ. Believe the gospel and be forgiven today. Let's pray.